on Sunday morning uh, in the middle of the chapter, and uh, I kind of had saved that for that. It felt like that was a needful thing for the 11 o'clock hour. And uh, uh, there's a, a continuation of some of that thought as we get to the latter part of uh, Nehemiah chapter 13. As we get to verse number 23, the Bible says, In those days saw I, also saw I Jews that had married wives of Ashdod and Ammon and of Moab, and their children spake half in the speech of Ashdod, and could not speak in the Jews' language, but according to the language of each people. And I contended with them, and cursed them, and smote certain of them, and plucked off their hair, and made them swear by God, saying, Ye shall not give your daughters unto their sons, nor take it their daughters unto your sons for yourselves, or for yourselves. Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin by these things? Yet among many nations was there no king like him, who was beloved of his God, and God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, even him did outlandish women cause to sin. Shall we then hearken unto you to do all this great evil, to transgress against our God in marrying strange wives? And one of the sons of Joadah, uh, the son of Elias, uh, Elisha the high priest, was son-in-law to Sanballat the Horonite. Therefore I chased him from me. Remember them, O my God, because they have defiled the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood and of the Levites. Thus cleansed I them from all strangers and appointed the wards of the priests and the Levites, everyone his business, and for the wood offering at times appointed for the first fruits. Remember me, O my God, for good. Uh, that's interesting as we get to the end of this. In chapter 10 of the book of Nehemiah, we find the people coming together, and they had rejoiced in uh, chapter number 8. They had, they had put on sackcloth and ashes and repented in chapter 9. And in chapter 10, they had recommitted themselves to the covenant of God. And in chapter number 10, in verse number 39, they made the statement to God. They said, we will not forsake the house of God. And so Nehemiah goes back to Artaxerxes for a number of years and serves again as the cupbearer, probably as much as maybe 10 to 12 years, somewhere in that range, that he was gone for a little while. In chapter 13, he comes back and he sees some things wrong and he sets them right. And uh, in chapter 13, I want you to notice, we read this a couple of weeks ago, but I want you to notice in verse number 11, and, and, and this is very, very important, I think, for us to see. In verse number 11 of chapter 13, Nehemiah says, Then contended I with the rulers, and notice this statement, and said, Why is the house of God forsaken? What was, what was the covenant they made in chapter 10? The covenant was, We will not forsake the house of God. And yet here we find them 10 or 12 years later saying, or not saying, but they had forsaken the house of God. In fact, Haggai picks it up here about this time, about the time that Nehemiah returns. And he's the one that wrote in Haggai chapter number 1, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, uh, uh, consider your ways. He, he talks about it. He says, you dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lies waste. He said, you've forsaken this. We preached on that the other a couple of weeks ago, and how that we needed um, to uh, go up into the mountain and get the wood and build the house, and God would take pleasure in it, and He would be glorified in it. 
and uh, the importance that God puts on uh, this thing of not forsaking uh, His house. By the way, uh, today, in the day that we live, in the Old Testament, that was the temple and that was the tabernacle and uh, the times that they were building the, the facility for the presence of God to reside among them. Today, the temple of God is our bodies, our, our lives, and the forsaking of our lives. And, and oftentimes, and I think this is an important point to show in Nehemiah, is that no matter how sincere they were, no matter how much their hearts were stirred to revival and to separation and to cleansing, and no matter how strong their commitment was, so strong, in fact, that they wrote their names, they signed their names, they put it in writing, they said, this is what we're committing to. That in 10 or 12 years, just a short period of time later, they find themselves doing the exact opposite of what they committed to God. And I think there's a valuable principle that is shown here in Scripture, and that is this. No matter how strong we are as a Christian, we have to continue to be on guard, to be diligent, to be watchful. That we do not let the things in our life slip. Look with me, if you will, in verse number 26. I think this is a very telling passage of Scripture. In verse 26, the the question is asked, Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin by these things? Notice what is said about him here. Yet among many nations was there no king like him. I mean, this is a great king. Remember remember when God came to Solomon at a young age and said, Ask what you will and I'll give it to you? And he could have asked for wealth. He could have asked for power and might. He could have asked for influence. But he asks God for wisdom. And God is impressed with that. And God says, Because you asked for wisdom, I'm going to give you all the other things too. And God made of him what I consider to be one of the greatest kings of Israel, one of the wisest men that certainly has ever lived. We get to verse 26, and notice says, the Bible even says this, that there was no king like him. In the history of Israel, there was no king like him who was beloved of his God. This is an amazing statement. He was beloved of his God. God loved Solomon. God honored Solomon. God blessed Solomon and lifted him up. Why? Because he had put God first in his kingship. Until, notice what it says here, Nevertheless, even him did outlandish women cause to sin. Paul said this. Paul said he had to be so careful in his own life. And he used this phrase, Lest I myself shall be a castaway. We can come to a place in our Christian lives, if we're not careful, that we'll say, I've been there, I've done that, I study the Bible, I know the Bible, I've been saved for a long time, I am well grounded, Pastor, you don't need to worry about me. i found in my life that the times that I get most confident in myself, in my spiritual life, are the times that I am in most danger. And those are the times that I am more prone to slip and backslide than any other point in life that I am in. On the mountaintops, when things are going well and, and, and the, uh, the, the, the relationship with God and the walk with God seems so sweet and so close and so near, those are the times that we have to be most on guard. The times of revival where we say, Lord, I'm going to recommit some things to you. I'll even put my name down. I'll sign it in writing. I'll say, I'm going to do everything according to the covenant that I've made with you, and I will not forsake these things. Those are the times we've got to take the most careful heed to them. Because these people were no different than you and I are. In chapter 10, they committed these things. By the time they get to chapter number 13, they've forsaken them. 
Notice what happens here as we get to verse number 24. The Bible says, let's back up to verse number 23. In those days also saw I Jews that had married wives of Ashdod and Amnon and Moab. I understand we live in the New Testament. We're no longer under the law. We're under grace. But I will say this. The law is not negated. It's not something we just toss aside now. It is a schoolmaster. It is something that teaches us where the heart of God lies on things. He gets this place, and and it's not the marrying of, of another person that's not of their nationality that was the biggest issue here. It was marrying of somebody who did not believe in the one true God. It was marrying somebody who did not have the same faith. By the way, you get some young person that says, well, uh, they love me and I love them and they're not a Christian, but you know, I'll help win them after I, I marry them. No, that, that is not the case. Rarely does that ever happen. And that is always, if it ever does happen, it's the exception. It's not the rule. I want you to understand God's, God's heart on the matter is this. Because He knows that human flesh has a propensity to gravitate and I like I, I use this phrase oftentimes to the path of least resistance. We tend to take the easy way out that we are going to let those things slip in our lives. We're going to start following the things of the world. If they're easily accessible to us, if they're influential to us, these men had married these wives of these uh, strange countries, so much so that not only had they adopted the religions of these people, but they're beginning to adopt their culture, they're beginning to adopt their language, so much so that even their children could not speak the language of the Jews. Notice here, as God talks about this in verse 24, His attitude towards it. In verse 24, the Bible says, "...and their children spake half in the speech of Ashdod, and could not speak in the Jews' language, but according to the language of each people." And I contended with them. Boy, that's a big word. Contended with them. We use that uh, in the, in uh, today uh, in the boxing and, and fighting realm. You know, the, he's a contender. What does that mean? That means he's a challenger. He's a fighter to that. A contender. He challenges. Nehemiah comes in and he challenges these people. He puts them to the test. He says, "Listen, uh, there are some things that need to be dealt with here." And he says, "I contended with them." Notice this. Uh, Nehemiah is not weak in this area. First of all, he curses them. He, he puts a curse on them. He says, listen, this is a... And by the way, before you say, well, he shouldn't curse them, uh, Jeremiah, if you'll remember, in chapter number 17 and verse number 5, it says, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man. And what God is saying is, the man that's going to put his strength in that is, is going to live a life that is not having the blessings of God on it. And is going to live a life that the, the, they're going to have the curse of sin and the payment of sin and, and the consequences of sin are going to be reaped because of that. And so this, this cursing of them is not him cursing by saying cuss words to him. He's saying the things that you're doing are bringing the, the payment and the consequences of your actions, this sinful fleshly thing. And he says, I contended with them and cursed them and, and smote certain of them. There are some of them he, he bought it. Well, wouldn't it be terrible if you came to church and because you were living in sin, the preacher reared back and smote you? He said, boy, I wouldn't attend a church like that. Can I help you with this? I, and certainly I'm not going to go out here and smite anybody. But it helps us to know what God's attitude toward it is, doesn't it? This isn't something God takes lightly. He smites them. 
Notice what else he does. I love this. And plucked off their hair. Now, that's not what happened to me, okay? There were some people he pulled their hair out. That's an interesting thing. We read that and we say, boy, he was fanatical, wasn't he? He was holy. He wanted these people to be separated. He wanted these people to honor their word that they had made back in chapter number 10. He wanted them to be honoring the covenant. Notice he says here, "...ye shall not give your daughters unto their sons, nor take their daughters unto your sons or for yourselves." God's attitude towards sin, Nehemiah's attitude towards sin, by the way, is reflecting of God's attitude towards that sin. And can I show a principle here that is not explicitly taught in Scripture, but it is certainly shown and illustrated here, and that is this. It's not, it's not enough for us to just know what God's attitude towards that sin is. We need to take our attitude toward it and say, God, I, or, I want my attitude towards sin to be the same as yours. Nehemiah did that. Nehemiah didn't just come to the people and say, God is mad at this. He said, I'm mad at this because I know God is mad at it. He said, this isn't just something my God is upset over. This is something that upsets me. And by the way, it's easy for us. Have you ever noticed this? It's easy for us to have the kind of attitude that Nehemiah has towards other people's sin. It's very hard for us to have the attitude that Nehemiah had toward our sin. Oh, that we would get back to this place where sin bothers us. We're living in a day and age that sin doesn't bother us a whole lot anymore. I posted a thing on Facebook. I wish I could say it was original with me, but I saw it somewhere else and I reposted it. Along the lines of the fact that today Satan doesn't even try to hide and the world still doesn't see him. I would amend that statement. Today Satan doesn't hide at all. He doesn't even attempt to. And sad to say, a lot of Christians don't see it. We involve ourselves in the same things. We follow the same things of the world. We get to verse 25, I think it's a very telling verse. He talks about the fact of the importance of influence. By the way, those of us that say, well, I'm not causing any harm. I know these people aren't the kind of friends I should have, but they're my friends and Can I tell you this? There's an influence to be had. And I think we ought to be friendly even to the lost. We've got to be careful who our friends are as far as acquaintances, things we get involved in, people we hang around a lot. There ought to be some separation there. We ought not to go to the beer parties. We ought not to go to the, the cookouts where they're having ungodly things going on at these things. I've watched Christian people do this and say, well, I think I can reach them through this. No, there needs to be a separation When we participate in the things that they are involved in, what we're telling them is we know what the problem is, but we don't know the solution. When we don't do those things and we separate ourselves from them, we can say, listen, I know what the problem is, and I've found the answer. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. There needs to be some separation. He talks about this in verse 26, that even Solomon, the one that was no king like unto him, even Solomon, because of the fact that he allowed influences into his life. And, and, and you know, Nehemiah deals with the influences of uh, uh, an ungodly spouse in this case. The issue, the specific issue here is dealing with 
marrying a woman of another uh, nation that has another religion, a different uh, idolatrous idea, and, and things anti-God. But can I tell you this? Influences don't have to be a person. Influences can be anything that influences our hearts and our lives away from the Lord. It can be the things that we allow come into our eye gates, things that we see. So David made the statement uh, in the Psalms. He says he had made a covenant with his eyes. He said, I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. How often we watch wicked things and we allow to go on. I was telling somebody the other day, I remember back years ago, I, we didn't have TV growing up, but every once in a while I'd go to somebody's house and they'd have a television. We were allowed every once in a while to watch a program with people that were there, but we didn't have one in our home. And growing up till I was probably 17, 18 years old, we never had a television in our house. And I was <laughs> reminded... Uh, uh, years ago, I was reminded of uh, 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 a, a preacher that I'd heard the story of a preacher. And I, I, I don't think it's a true story, but uh, they gave this by way of illustration. They said they had challenged their people to take their television and put it in the closet for a month and see how things went. And after a month, he asked how many of them had done it. And only one man raised his hand and said, yes, we did it, Pastor. And he said, how did it go? He said, well, it was fine, but it got really crowded in the closet, you know. And... Uh, the things that come in our eye gates, in our ear gates, become addictive to us. And um, I remember back in the 60s and 70s when I would watch every once in a while, I would watch a, a show on television, a little 30-minute thing, what we call sitcoms, I guess now. And, and back then, they were a lot cleaner than they are today. And yet, we still watch them today. I remember them when they began to make jokes about the homosexual movement and... Uh, they began to laugh at, laugh at it and make fun of it. And uh, I, I thought then, I thought, you know, they're going to desensitize us by getting us to laugh at it, to have a good feeling when we hear these jokes in our, in our bodies, in our lives, in our minds. And it's going to be a, a pathway, a gateway for us to become accepting of it. And we, I remember back in the 70s and 80s thinking, boy, I hope it never comes to that, and I hope that will never get to be an acceptable thing among God's people. But now we have churches and denominations that say, you know what, it's okay in our church. In fact, we don't even care if our pastor's that way. What's happened? They allowed some influences to come in unchecked. They allowed some things to influence them. It wasn't always just the marrying somebody, but an influence that came in either through their eye or their ear, maybe through their mind. Oh, that we would have a revival of purity of minds and thoughts. In verse number 27, it says, Shall we hearken unto you uh, to do this great evil, to transgress against our God in marrying strange wives? I, I find this amazing. Again, uh, last Sunday we saw that uh, Tobiah uh, had gotten a uh, chamber in the house of God. They made him a place to stay. The enemy of God. They made him a place to stay in the temple. The place where the, the sacred vessels, the things of God, the holy things, the, the sanctified things were supposed to be, they vacated those things and put the enemy of God there. And we scratch our heads and we think, what in the world were they thinking? Until we begin to look at our lives. And how often we take the things that ought to be sanctified in our lives, the things that ought to be holy, and we set them aside. And we bring in the enemy of God and we put him a chamber in the temple. We talked about that last Sunday, and I, I can't even fathom that. 
But as we get to the end of this chapter, I want you to notice this. There was another enemy of God. In fact, this was, this was kind of the leader of the three. A man by the name of Sanballat. How many times he tried to cause Nehemiah to stop the work. How many times he criticized him. How many times he tried to, to strong-arm him to quit the work of God. The Bible says here in uh, chapter 28, And one of the sons uh, of Joadah, and the son of Eliashib, the high priest. So this is a relative of the high priest. Was son-in-law to Sanballat. He took the enemy of God, this primary enemy of God, and married his daughter. We sit here and we scratch our heads and we think, what in the world was he thinking? Until we look at our lives. We began to see that there is a propensity in us. There is a, a human nature in us that still tugs at our hearts and causes us to follow after these things as well. And if we're not on guard, we may be like the nation of Israel who in chapter 10 signed their name and said, Lord, we're not going to forsake the house of God. And just about the time we think we've had victory, we find that we have not had victory at all. I want you to notice in verse number 29, Nehemiah says this, Lord, I want you to remember them. Remember them, that they have defiled the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood and of the Levites. He said, Lord, I want you to remember them. This is Nehemiah's response. And by the way, I think Nehemiah is a good illustration, a good example of what our response ought to be. Lord, remember them. But more importantly, notice in verse number 31, he says, I want you to remember me, oh my God, notice this, for good. I, when God thinks of me, I don't want Him to think of me as someone who has defiled the priesthood. I don't want Him to think of me as someone who's defiled the covenant of the priesthood. I don't want Him to think of me as one of these folks that has departed and defiled His temple. I want Him to think of me as someone who's a vessel that is fit for the master's use, a vessel of honor. I want him to remember me for good. I don't think that I don't think that Nehemiah was looking at all of his good deeds and puffing himself up and saying, God, I've done all this good and I want you to see it. I want you to look, hey, look at me. I don't think that's his prayer at all in verse number 31. Because we see him pray something similar to this over in verse number... Uh, uh, let's go over to verse number 22. He also prays here, Remember me, O my God. Notice this. Concerning this also, and spare me according to the greatness of thy mercy. What Nehemiah was saying is, Lord, I want you to remember me, and I need your help, because my desire is to live in a way that is pleasing to you. And when I'm not pleasing to you, then Lord, please grant me your mercy. But my desire is I want to be pleasing to you. I believe that with looking at the verse in 22 and seeing his prayer in verse 22, and then looking in verse 31 and seeing his prayer in verse 31, I believe that that last phrase that he says there, remember my God, remember me, O God, my God for good, is a, is a cry for dependence upon God to help him to be remembered for the good things in his life. That, Lord, I can't do this. I have failed. And I believe Nehemiah had a deep sense of failure in this. Lord, I want to be remembered for good. I believe this is a cry of help to the God of heaven. Saying, God, if I'm not careful, I'll be just like these folks. I'll forsake the temple. 
I'll put your enemies in their place. I'll reject the covenant. I'll reject the priesthood. I'll, I'll, I'll live in a way that is ungodly if it's not for your help. Now notice Nehemiah's response to all of this. Verse 30, he says, Thus cleansed I them from all strangers. There was a cleansing effect that took place. We're seeing this over and over again. It's almost repetitive in the book of Nehemiah how many times there's been cleansing now. I wonder often if that is not an example to you and I, that there need to be often times of cleansing. That we come to God and we say, Lord, search my heart, try me. See if there is any wicked way in me. See if there's something that needs to be dealt with. I'll I'll be real frank with you. I don't know that I've ever come to God and said, Lord, try my heart, weed out the weeds, show me where I'm wrong, that He has not showed it to me. If you come sincerely, if you come with the desire, Lord, I want to do right. I know there's some things that aren't. Show them to me. I, I don't want to miss any of them. He has a way of showing them to you, doesn't He? He sure does. He cleansed them from all strangers. And I want you to notice this. Not only did He do a cleansing, but I think this is just as important as you and I separating ourselves and having a time of cleansing. He says this, "...and appointed the words of the priest and the Levites, everyone in his business." He, he, he decided he was going to appoint some wards, some, some guardians, if you will, some gatekeepers, if you will, some people that would take responsibility and hold us accountable to our commitment to God. I wrote down a couple of things here uh, that I think today are great wards that you and I can have once we have a cleansing, once we have a time of coming to God and saying, Lord, I need to, I need to get some things right with You. I need to confess these things. I need to get them right. I want to do what's right and pleasing to You. I want You to remember me for good and not for my failures. I think there are some wards that the Bible is very clear about that you and I can have, first of all, is the word of the acknowledgement of the Holy Spirit in our lives. I'll be real frank with you. When I remember that the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of me, He sees what I see, He hears what I hear, He knows my thoughts and my heart, it holds me accountable to some things. It's the times that I don't think about the fact that the Holy Spirit lives inside of me that I find myself drifting. If we need some accountability, one of the things that we must do is live constantly in the state of the fact that the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of me. Nothing is hid from Him. Not even the things and the thoughts that are the most deepest parts of my heart. They are all laid open and bare to Him. I'll tell you, that's a pretty good ward. That's that's pretty good gatekeeper there. That's a pretty good guardian of my commitment when I live with the Holy Spirit in my life. I think another one is knowing the Word of God. When we know the truth of God's Word and we think of Scriptures that that help us through these things, it becomes a guardian for us. It becomes a... the, The Bible talks about it being a bulwark or a hedge or something that is a protective barrier for us. When we know the Scripture, we know what God's heart is. We know what His will is on the matter. That's a good guard for our hearts. It's a good guard to help keep us in the place that we need to be. I think the Holy Spirit ought to be uh, the primary thing. I think the Word of God ought to be a primary thing in our life. And then I think thirdly, we need to make sure if, if, 
if ungodly acquaintances and ungodly influences cause our hearts to depart, I believe the Bible teaches this very clearly, that godly friends and godly influences will help us to be edified and encouraged. And can I even use this word? To be accountable to the things that I've committed to the Lord. I like what Nehemiah did here. He didn't pull any punches. (laughs) He came in. He cursed them, he smote them, he pulled out their hair. He kicked them all out, cleansed the place. And then he said, I'm going to put some wards in place. People responsible to make sure this doesn't happen again. I think just as important as our separation and our cleansing is for you and I to find some things that we can put into place that are safeguards for us. They are the barricade. They are the guardian. They're the keeper of the gate, so to speak, of our eyes and our ears, the things that would influence our hearts and our minds. There need to be some things that we put in place and say, those are the things I'm accountable to. And I think that would be a great help to us. I've enjoyed Nehemiah. There's a lot of things we've learned from him. I mean a lot of things we've learned from him. And some things we've been motivated and encouraged and challenged by. Some things... We've learned by what they did wrong and not to do those things. And it's been a wonderful study. I've enjoyed it and uh, looking forward to what God has for us in the future. Let's stand. We'll be dismissed in prayer. And then we'll have our service to follow here in just a little bit. Father, we're so grateful and thankful for the privilege that you've given to us to be here today. And, uh, Lord, to have your word in our hands, to guide us, to direct us, Lord, the wisdom of it. And these stories that are shared with us, these historical accounts of the Old Testament, are not just there for uh, us to enjoy reading. Father, they are there to give illustrations to principles and truths that you want us to have in our lives. May we glean from it what you would have for us to. And then, Father, would you work in our hearts in the service to follow. And, uh, Lord, do a work. May your Holy Spirit uh, do something great uh, to stir us afresh and anew. And, Lord, we want to glorify you today in all we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.